core strengths for a strong finish. These things that I'm going to share with you today are not only appropriate for a pastor, but they're appropriate for anyone who's called upon the name of the Lord and is born again. These things are precious. These things are core principles that Brenda and I have operated our life and our ministry on in the last 35 years. And I believe that somehow, somewhere in this, you're going to get help. Amen? Amen. So how many of you will set yourself in agreement with me today? And let's pray. And let's ask the Lord for that which is just right for this time and for this season. Father, thank you today for your goodness and for your great mercy. We open our hearts to receive with a teachable heart the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Minister this to your people today, Father, I pray. And may we be strengthened and the eyes of our heart be enlightened. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you know that the Olympics is coming up real soon? And we enjoy the Olympics. The Olympics are great. But the Greeks, you know, they had a race in their Olympic Games that was quite unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. And what I want to do, and what Brenda wants to do, and I believe I can speak for all of us, how many of you want to run all the way with your flame of your torch still lit for him? You know, it won't be long. It's going to be soon and very soon. Glory to God, the King is coming. And we're not always going to be doing what we're doing right now. We are in preparation for glory. But I believe with all of my heart that God wants every one of us to have a strong finish. The Bible says it is the strong spirit of a man that will sustain his infirmity. A strong spirit, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, will enable you to go all the way to the finish line and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I want to just share some principles with you today. Is that okay? The first one that I've learned that will help all of us is found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. This scripture says... Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Of course, he's ministering here to a pastor and to ministers. But I believe what's appropriate to pastors and ministers is appropriate to all of us. And so the principle, number one, is take heed unto yourself. He says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased With his own blood. I believe with all of my heart. We need to pay attention to ourselves. I believe that we need to be walking worthy of the Lord. Unto all pleasing. Staying on the path that he has preordained for us. So that we can finish our course. Amen. Now how many of you know. You can't be a good mom. Can't be a good dad. Can't be a good single parent good employer or employee, if you, first of all, don't take care of yourself. You know, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. And every one of us have been called to care for others. But I've got a question for you today. While we are caring for others, how are we caring for our families and for ourselves? 
It's vital to remember that even though we are not under the law, we are under a principle called the law of the Sabbath. And the law of the Sabbath in our lives includes rest for your body. I believe with all of my heart that you and I should live rested lives. We live in a world that is so connected with internet, so connected with Xfinity, so connected with direct TV, iPads, iPods, droids, whatever you may want to call it. We pride ourselves in being connected. And I think that technology in the natural realm has been good on one hand. On the other hand, it's been a curse. Friend, if you do not control technology, technology will will control you. And I think we have a society that is stressed out, a society that is wired up, and as a result, they're losing out on the peace of God that God has made available to them. You are not wired, and neither is any pastor, to go 24-7 every day, work, 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 with no relaxation and with no break. Your brain and your body is not built for that. I have discovered this, and I'm going to ask you, have you discovered if you don't take time off, your body will make time off? Our best requires rest. So this law of the Sabbath, this principle of the Sabbath, resting your body and then recharging your emotions. You cannot keep charging without recharging. And I believe that we need to find out and know what those things are that recharge us, spirit, soul, and body. Did you know that some people will drain you? (coughs) Don't look around. But being with people you love will recharge you emotionally. Getting around people that drain you will drain you. We need to recharge our emotions. I know what works for me. Do you know what works for you? And then thirdly, we need to make sure that we have recreation. We need to have time where we enjoy life. You know, the Bible says in John 10.10, he says, I am come that you might have life and enjoy it to the full. In abundance until it overflows. I believe that God has required every one of us to find out some things that we like to do and to do them and not feel guilty about it. And then within this law of the Sabbath, there is such a thing as refocusing your spirit. In other words, making sure that you do not run through your life on empty spiritually. You know, Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And it is the word of God and it is the spirit of God that will build you up and enable you to finish your course with joy. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Let's go back to this thought. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Don't take yourself so seriously. Everyone around you has a life. You need one also. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, how many of you know you got a course? Hello? How many of you know God's got a plan for you? Glory, you got a vision for your life, don't you? Somebody help this little Pentecostal preacher today. You got a course. Tony Cook, one of my best friends in the world, said this. You're either finishing your course or your course is finishing you. Notice in Acts 20, verse 24, what the Apostle Paul said. And let me quote it for you. He said that I may finish, but none of these things move me, neither count my, my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with what? Finish it with joy. Now, there's two types of people. Those who are finishing their course with joy and those whose course is finishing them. One of the things that we enjoy so much, Brenda and I, in our life in ministry is we've learned to laugh. If you can't find anything to laugh about, why don't you just look in the mirror or something? (laughs) The Bible says that a merry heart, it does good like a medicine. The joy of the Lord is our The joy of the Lord is our strength, not our weakness. Laughter is awesome. One translation says, a merry heart does good like a baby aspirin. (laughs) Don't take yourself so seriously. Develop a sense of humor. Learn to laugh at yourself. Everyone else is. (laughs) You know, I can think of some of the pulpit bloopers we've had over the last 30 years. Oh, my goodness. Some, you know, are kind of vulgar, not intended to be vulgar, but they were, so I can't go into that. But I'll tell you, I mean, we did a wedding one time, and this was years ago, and uh, this fella got married, and he had his hair ratted that day. And he had, he had long hair, and it was just, it looked like that, you know. And Brenda and I were doing the wedding, and uh, they came forth, and instead of saying, let's all bow our head for prayer accidentally, I said, let's all bow our hair for prayer. <laughs> We just about lost it. You know, just all sorts of stupid things, dumb things. Just learn to have some fun. And you know, you don't have to be off color. You don't have to be dirty to have fun. Amen. The joy of the Lord on the inside of you will help you to enjoy your life. And you know what? I've learned this over the past 35 years. That care and fear and anxiety will eat my lunch. Now, I cannot stand up here before you today and lie and tell you that I've never yielded to fear. And never yielded to care or worry. But every time I have, I have discovered this. That it absolutely drains my spirit. And there is nothing that worry or fear or carrying the cares of this world upon your shoulders. There's nothing good about it. Nothing ever good comes out of those types of things. So in later years in life, I've learned to roll all my cares over on God. And the devil will just sit right there. Well, you're, you're responsible for this. You're responsible for that. No, my father's responsible for everything. And I cast all my care. I roll all my worry upon the Lord. Did you know that it's the will of God for you to live a worry-free, carefree life? Oh, glory to God. Now, here's another thing that we have learned, 
and that has really helped us to go through 35 years of marriage, but also 30 years of ministry. Understand this, that when Brenda and I married, we were in full-time ministry right away. So we not only had the pressure of being married, how many of you know the first couple of years can be a little rocky? I mean, we enjoyed each other, but it took time to get used to each other's nuances. Actually, I think it took longer for her to get used to my nuances than me to get used to hers. But here's one thing I've learned, and this will help you immeasurably. Make sure that you keep the home fires burning. Your relationship with your wife and your children must be top priority. God never made a ministry before he made a marriage. God never made an occupation before he did a marriage. Adam and Eve came together as one before there was anything ever such as a ministry or an occupation. But here's what happens. In life, I've seen it happen with pastors. I've seen pastors burn out with 20 people. And I've seen pastors with 20,000 people just be as carefree and live on top of the world and just enjoy life as much as anybody could. Amen. And so there is a key here. Your relationship with God has got to be number one. Your relationship with your spouse has got to be number two. And then other priorities follow suit. You cannot afford and allow yourself to be so drained and emaciated and exhausted from your ministry that you've, not, that you've got nothing left at home to invest. You need to have quality time with your spouse. Quality time with your children. And you should take seriously the warnings or the concerns that he or she might express. And to have quality time does not necessarily mean just watching movies all the time. Because when you're watching movies all the time, there's no conversation. And there's no communication. What Brenda and I do is we go on dates. I still date my wife after 35 years. And she is absolutely a phenomenal date. When I walk into a restaurant, I guarantee they ain't looking at me. They're looking at her. What a classy, foxy mama she is. We date one another. We take regular vacations. I mean, I may be here today, but gone to Maui. You never can tell. Well, I can't afford to go on a date. Can you afford to go to McDonald's? Can you afford to go to the park and walk? Well, I can't afford a vacation. There's beautiful parks all over the Bay Area. You live in one of the most beautiful areas in the world. And it doesn't cost you to walk around the block and hold hands. There's a lot of things that you can do for free out there. I am encouraging you. I implore you. I exhort you to maintain the home 
fire. Keep your romance burning. Here's another thing that we've learned that has helped us immeasurably. There's sometimes I just don't want to talk about ministry. I don't want to talk about you. I love you. I talk about you a lot. And I pray for you a lot. But there's times where we just have to agree. You know what, honey? We're not going to talk about the church today. We're going to talk about how good a basketball player I was. We're going to talk about what you're going to make me for supper. Hey. I like to talk about Brenda's childhood. I like to learn about how she grew up. I grew up in a city. She grew up in the country. I love to hear the stories about little Ricky and her brothers. I love to hear about her dad and her mom. It enriches our life. Develop conversations outside of your job. Outside of those areas that are so intense. Too many people are so uptight. And they're so intense. You almost want to say, take a chill pill, will you? Here's another thing that has helped us. We have learned that we are not all that. We have learned that we are not all that, but he surely is all that. We have learned not to look after our lives through eyes of the flesh, but through eyes of the Father. We have discovered that God is absolutely mad about us and that he loves us. And that there is no good thing that he will withhold from us as long as we walk uprightly and seek first his kingdom. We have discovered that we are limited in what we can do in and of ourselves. Now listen to this statement. This will help you. People, ministers, whatever, who do not realistically assess what they can and cannot do are headed for serious trouble. Then coupled with that, people who do not learn to say no are headed for serious trouble. How many of you remember back, I don't know if it was the 60s or the 70s, the old drug, anti-drug motto, what was it? Can we have a little bit more participation here today? Just say what? It's easy to get addicted to speed. Not the drug, the lifestyle. It's easy to get addicted to the adrenaline that all of the activities of this age produce. People get addicted to the lifestyle of going faster and faster. We have to learn in our lives to say no. I believe that the number one reasons that our life gets overloaded is because we say yes too many times to too many people. How many of you have a to-do list? How many of you honeys have a honey-do list? And it's good to have a to-do list, but I like this thought. I heard this from someone. I think instead of having a to-do list all the time, we need to have a don't-do list. 
don't do this and don't do that. Or maybe better yet, a what matters most list. You see, there are some things that I have done that I've had to lay aside. There are some things perhaps that you're doing right now that are not necessarily sin, but they're weights in your life. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, from the Amplified Version, it talks about laying aside every weight. And the Amplified puts it like this, laying aside every unnecessary weight. Amen? So I think from time to time, it's good to prioritize our lives. And say, you know, this is really a good thing, but is it the God thing? There's a big, big, big difference between something that's good and something that's God. There's tons of things that are good for you to do, but are you led to do them by God? Oh, that's good preaching. So lay aside the things which are unnecessary. Strip them off. Get rid of them. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The next thing that I think is really important is focus on the lane that God has designated for you. Is that plain enough? No sense of you trying to sing a solo if you're not called. I mean, a good friend of mine says, everyone's called to sing, just not record. Sing in the shower, you know, do whatever, but heaven's sake, save us. Now, seriously... Focus on what you do well. You know, I think that there is a mistake that many of us experience in high school. You know, you have your career day at high school or maybe career day at college. And they would interview and, you know, I always got stumped when they said, Well, son, what do you want to do? (laughs) And, you know, you, you hear that and... And uh, the pressure gets on. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now? You're graduating from high school. What are you going to do now? And so it's almost like society puts you in a position to you need to make a decision on what you're going to do. We want to know what you're going to do. A good friend of mine, Brother Moore, says this. That's a mistake. We should not decide what we're going to do, we should discover. We should discover what we're going to do. And the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you to help you discover your designated lane and your designated path, which He's foreordained from before the foundation of the world for you. And there's no one like you. You're unique with a unique grace on your life. With unique giftings on your life, you are called of Him to fulfill His purpose for His glory in this earth today. And so, avoid the comparison trap. Man, if I compared myself with with ministers that have churches of 15,000, 20,000... I think that I'm no good, that I've done nothing of any value. But I know that's a lie of the devil. I know that everything that's been done has been done to the glory of God. 
You don't have to be me and I don't have to be you. We don't have to be someone else. We don't have to keep up with the Thomases, the Joneses, the Browns, or the Carlsons. We need to walk in the place that God's called us to walk. And then when we're talking about discovering God's path for your life, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 15 in the Amplified Version. Here's a guiding principle that has helped Brenda and I all these years, and that is this. In discovering the plan of God and the purpose of God, all you simply got to follow after is peace. You just follow after the peace of God in your heart. The scripture says, Above all these things put on love and enfold yourselves with the bond of perfectness, which binds everything together in completely in ideal harmony. Verse 15, are you ready? Let's read. Read, and let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule, act as empire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling by finality all questions that arise in your mind. Stop right there. What should be the issue that settles whether you should do this, go here, marry this person, or do that? What is it? See, the peace of God is on the inside of you. And if you're going to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, it's necessary to walk in peace. What Brenda and I have done these last several years is we just followed after peace. We came to California in 1982 in the month of May by an inward witness and a peace that God gave us. Amen. Now, in the natural realm, it didn't look like a good decision. Now, how many of you have ever been to a baseball game before? Okay. The A's and the Giants are playing the Bay. Battle of the Bay right now, right? And the uh, A's have lost two in a row. And the man behind the plate, they call him Blue, right? And Blue is the umpire. So, if someone's coming around third base, and they're heading for home, and the outfielder's got the ball... And he's thrown that ball to home plate to get that man out at home plate. Who makes the call at home plate? Is it Bochi from the Giants? Is it Melvin from the A's? No. Blue makes the call. And Blue determines whether that runner is safe at home or out at home. And no matter what it may look like to Bochi, no matter what it may look like to Melvin... The umpire is the one that makes the final decision. He says, safe or out. And no matter what it may look like in the natural realm, no matter how you may feel in your emotions, the peace of God on the inside of you is your umpire. He will determine and decide with all finality whether it's God or whether it's not safe for your life. And we've just endeavored to follow after peace. Lots of decisions need to be made in life. How are you going to know? Do you just take a stab at it and just decide? No, you follow after peace. Everyone say it with me. I shall be led forth with the peace of God. Hebrews 12, 1 Peter 3 and other scriptures say, follow peace. So Brenda and I have made the decision. And I don't know how much longer we're going to be pastors here. You know, I could do a series called The Next 30, but I'd be 92 by the time that was over. 
I mean, we, we determine in our heart, we'll be here as long as the Lord tells us to be. Well, how long are you going to live, Pastor Mark? I'm going to live till I'm satisfied. Yeah, but I thought, you know, God determines how long you're going to live. No, you're wrong. The Bible says, with long life will I satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Just live till you're satisfied. Well, we're not getting any help on that one. Some of you are going to get this whether you like it or not. We just determined in our heart, you know, we began in the spirit. So there's no way that we're going to finish in the flesh. Having begun in the spirit, are you made perfect by walking in the flesh? The answer is no. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm following after the peace of God. I'm being led forth with his peace. Here's another one. How many of you know that everyone needs a friend? Every minister, every person needs a friend. Someone that they can talk to with openly. Someone that they can trust with information that's not going to go across the 510-408-925-650 area code. Someone that they can confide in. Over the years, I've had such friends. And I have such friends. The best friend that I have is my wife, Brenda. And I have other friends that I can bounce things off of. And when I have, you know, hit a a rough patch, and I found it necessary to open up my life and my heart to my friends, I've done that. But friends are awesome. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, that as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need friends. Someone that we can be real with. I have a very close friend of mine, and sometimes I want to say, take that professional voice out of your context right now, will you? And just relax. We don't have to be professional all the time. Isolation is an invitation to disaster. For the minister or for the believer. Lester Sumrall, that great general in the camp of the Lord years ago, said this. The first banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled first. I don't buy it that you can get as much out of church at home as you do have been being here. I believe there's a supply of the spirit that you get here that you don't get on internet. I am sorry. But there is something called the corporate anointing that you can get and only get in the local church of God's choosing for your life. And it might not be Heart of the Bay. It could be Jubilee. It could be Faith Fellowship. It could be the well. Whatever and wherever it is, discover where God has you and get hooked up. You're needed. And then develop friendships in the local church. I said develop friendships in the local church. And this old dog won't hunt either. I might just sweep the whole house clean today. 
Well, I'm not going to go over there to Heart of the Bay. That's an unfriendly church. Well, you're the last one to get here in the morning and the first one to leave. It's unfriendly. It could be that you're not showing yourself friendly. And my Bible says, now I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. To him that would have friends. Go to the back door sometime and just Hi, my name's Barney. Hi, my name's Paul. How do you like me now? (laughs) Paul don't mind. Amen. Paul's a friendly guy. Friendly people. Have you ever noticed this? This is quite a revelation. Friendly people have friends. Let me get this again now, Pastor. Friendly people. Yes. And some of you have been looking for friends in all the wrong places. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Get a friend. Find a friend. It's been a lifesaver for me. Friendships. You know this? When all the entire world walks out on you, a good friend will walk in on you. Find a friend. Won't you be my neighbor? Boy, we're in the spirit now. I'm feeling it. Thank you. Shikaba. All right. But isolation is an invitation to disaster. And then we've also learned this. You should get something out of this some way today, somehow. I'm praying. Make sure that you receive ministry. Make sure you receive ministry. And that gets into, you know, make sure you have a local church. But Brenda and I, you know, I mean, we put out and put out and put out. Pastor Tom puts out. Pastor Nancy puts out. There's times where we need to stop. And we need to go somewhere so that we can be ministered to. Ministers and people that are not ministered to will become lame and crippled in their walk with God. That came right out of my heart. Receive ministry. Buddy Harrison said this. This is uh, Brother Hagin's son-in-law who's in heaven. He said this, when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep becomes your downfall. Make sure you receive ministry. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 31 and 32. And we're, we're coming to a close here. Get away. Breaks are imperative. Small breaks are important. But so are big breaks. Don't shortchange yourself on days off or vacations. Mark 6, 31-32 says, And he said unto them, 
Come yourselves apart into a desert place. You need to come apart so you don't come apart. And rest a while. Did you know that that's a perfect scripture for a Palm Springs vacation? Come you yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Peter Marshall said this. He says, I've learned that the kingdom of God goes on without Peter Marshall. And it's true. How many remember the uh, football team, the Green Bay Packers? Green Bay Packers are, you know, a team from Wisconsin. And especially years ago, they were an awesome team. They had Paul Horning and Bart Starr and all those guys. Some of you remember him. But how many remember the name of their coach? The name of the coach was Vince what? Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi said something that is so vital and so important. I want to share it with you today. Vince said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. It is not the will of God for you or me to go through life fatigued. To go through life constantly tired constantly exhausted and constantly running on empty. It becomes your responsibility to take your breaks, but also to learn to wait on God. Because as you learn to wait on God, the Bible says that there will be an exchange that will take place. You will renew your strength. What that means is this, is you will exchange your strength for his strength. And then here's what will happen. You'll mount up with wings like an eagle. You'll run and not be what? You'll walk and you won't what? You'll not faint. See, it's true. Those that are faint in heart will not receive their harvest. Those that are faint hearted will never receive their harvest. Because the Bible says this, God's not mocked. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Now listen, for in due season, that doesn't mean necessarily by Friday. (laughs) But in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. I believe this, that one of the main reasons more people are not reaping their harvest that God has for them and enjoying the good kind of and the God quality of life is they're just flat fainting. They're weary. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, you know what? If you faced what I face, you'd be faint too. How do you know that? You don't know that much about my individual life. You have no idea things I've faced. But I'm still standing. Why? Because I've learned to draw from the reservoir of heaven's help and heaven's strength. And you can do it too.
if you'll just go to the rock that's higher than you. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. So korineshte la vasta koroma teyate la boshtelede. You can run your race and finish your course if you'll take heed unto what the Spirit would say unto you this day. Listen carefully, not mentally, but listen with your heart. And let these truths abide in you and not depart. For as you do what you hear and do what you've heard, life will get better and better and better. That's what the Holy Ghost just said. Now listen to this. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he was a guy that experienced a whole lot of trouble. I mean, they left him for dead. God raised him up. The Bible says he was in fastings often. He was in weariness, the scripture says, among false brethren, among all these different things that would come against him. Listen, Paul had revelation for the body of Christ, did he not? And the apostle Paul penned several epistles that tell us who we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for the apostle Paul. But the Bible says, because of the abundance of the revelation that he received, there was sent a messenger of Satan to buffet him or to torment him, a thorn in his side to attempt to stop him from delivering what God had put in his heart for the church. And the Apostle Paul really didn't understand exactly what was going on. So he went to the Lord and he besought him thrice, three times. And he was asking for heaven's help. And the response that came from the Master is absolutely awesome. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said unto him, My grace, my favor, my loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. It is sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. In other words, Jesus saying, Paul, man up. My grace is sufficient for you. Now notice Paul's response. And God is saying, for my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed, and show themselves most effective in your weakness. Paul said, I get it now. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent and dwell upon me. Paul had a revelation of the grace of God. He knew that the grace of God was strong enough and more than enough for him to get through anything Satan threw at him. And I've learned the same thing. I've learned to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I've learned that to access this grace, I must do it by faith. Yes, I'm talking about persevering the tough seasons. I'm talking about keep moving.
Be strong in the grace. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And lastly, here's what I've learned. And we can operate and function in as well. Is we need to trust in His mercy and His faithfulness. In Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21 through 23. He says, this I call to my mind and therefore I have great hope. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You know why? Because His compassions don't fail. They are, <laughs> they are new every morning. I'm telling you, though weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Because God is faithful and His mercy endures forever. I can hear my spiritual father teaching this message years and years ago to a group of us ministers. And he was talking to pastors. And he said, you'll notice that in several of the Pauline epistles written to the church, he would acknowledge them and greet them and he would say, grace and peace be unto you. But then when he got to writing to ministers, he would add one factor. He would say, grace, (laughs) peace, and mercy be to you. He says, because you know for sure that you as a pastor and you as a minister sure enough need the strong mercy of God. And I stand before you today. I breathe today because His mercy endures forever. And His mercy is hovering over you right now to save you, to encourage you, to bless you, and to help you with your life. He'll do it if you'll live for Him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I've done my best to share my heart today. I leave the results with you this morning. I thank you, Lord, for ministering life to each and every, fa- each and every family member here today.